by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Situations and circumstances in life can get a little messy and sometimes downright ugly, and we can start to wonder if things will ever get better. Today, John will help us on this issue with a message from God's Word titled, In His Time. If you'll open your Bible this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, not the easiest book in the Bible to find. It's right after Proverbs, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. It's part of the wisdom literature in the Bible. Interestingly, the word Ecclesiastes literally means preacher or one who stands before an assembly. Last week, we talked about time, and we talked about the fact that God has placed us on this earth not just on the earth, but in the very place that we live for the particular period of time that we're living in. Not only that, we talked about the fact that we have a limited amount of time. Our days are numbered, and we have a limited amount of time to serve the Lord and to obey the Lord and to do whatever it is that God would have us to do with our lives. Now, this morning, we're not focusing so much on time, but we're focusing on God's timing, God's timing. In many ways, timing to God is more important than time. And we know from the Scripture, we saw it last week, see it again today, that God has a way uh, in all of our lives of taking those things that maybe the broken pieces of our lives and putting them back together again. In God's timing, He can meet our needs and answer our prayers and intervene in our situation and circumstance in absolutely unbelievable ways. In God's timing, He can take the things in our lives that are not necessarily pretty. Maybe they're ugly things, and God can make something beautiful out of that. It's interesting we have a family in our church. The man in the family is a retired Houston police officer. And before he became a Houston police officer, his father was a Houston police officer, became a captain in the, in the department, and for many years was an active deacon at First Baptist Church in Houston. Back in the 1940s and 1950s, when Billy Graham's ministry was just taking off, when Dr. Graham would come to Houston to preach, this particular man was assigned to him. Meet him at the airport, take him around Houston, kind of be with Dr. Graham the whole time he was in Houston. Well, time went by, and Dr. Graham and this police officer became friends. And so on more than one occasion, uh, Dr. Graham invited this man to come to North Carolina to stay in the Graham's house and meet his wife and spend some time together. And so he did that. Well, while he was there, and of course, Dr. Graham showing him around the mountains up there in the house that he lived in. He took him into his study, and he said to this police officer, he said, this, he said, I feel a little self-conscious having a painting of myself in my house. He said, but somebody painted this for me, and, and uh, so that's, that's what that is. And the police officer said to him, Dr. Graham, I love that picture. And every time he was in the Graham home, he always said, I love that picture. And finally, one day, Billy Graham said to him, you really like that picture that much? He said, I do. And he said, well, I'm going to just give it to you. And so Dr. Graham gave the man the picture. He brought it back to Houston. For years, they had it in their home. Time goes by. This man dies, and his wife ends up downsizing, moving into a smaller house. And 
She just didn't have room for all the pictures that she had originally had. And so somehow this picture got put up in the attic. Years go by, this picture's in the attic. And one day, their son, who's our church member, was, was at his mom's house. And he was up looking through the attic and came across this picture and brought it down and, and said, Mom, are you never going to do anything with this picture? And she said, No, I love it, but I don't, I, I don't have room for it. And our member looked at it and noticed it had kind of become, you know, wear and tear, being in an attic. The picture's getting now close to being 100 years old. And he said, well, do you mind if I have this refurnished? So she said, no, you do whatever you want to with it. And so she gave it to him, and he took it to a place to, to get it refurbished and how those people can take an old picture that maybe has lost some of its shine and some of its glow. And my friend called me one day, and he said, John, my wife and I have something that we think you would like. And I said, well, I... I'd be glad to see what it is. So they brought it to the church, and they gave me that picture of Billy Graham. But there's an example of a picture that had been in an attic for many years, wear and tear, lost its shine, lost its glow. And my friend took it to a man, and he was able to take something that was no longer pretty and make it pretty and make it beautiful. And that's what I'm saying. God can do those things in our lives. Now, the first point I want to make is just that. God has a way of making something beautiful out of the messed up things in our lives. He really does. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, look in verse 11. We're going to just look at half of this verse today. Chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. God has a way of making something beautiful out of the messed up things in our lives. Now, that word beautiful literally means pleasant or bright or well or right. And notice it says, he has made all things, everything beautiful in its time. And so everything in your life, whether it's a big thing or a little thing, whether it's a painful thing, whether it's a, a messed up thing, maybe you brought the mess on yourself, or maybe somebody else brought the mess on you. It's beyond your control. Circumstances have just caused this. But the Bible says that God has a way of making something beautiful out of the messed up things in our lives. Look at the verse in Isaiah chapter 61. It says a similar thing in a little bit different way. Isaiah 61, 3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. Think about that. Those things in our lives that we look at, and sometimes it just feels like a big ash heap. There's just nothing left of it. The Bible says God can give them beauty for ashes, make something beautiful out of it, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And so God has a way of making something beautiful out of the messed up things in our lives. Now, as I was thinking about this and preparing for the sermon today, I started thinking, God, what is the best example? I know there are lots of examples, but what are What's the, maybe the best example in the Bible of how you took a messed up situation, an ash heap, something that wasn't right, and you made it absolutely beautiful? And as I was thinking about that, my mind went to the Gospel of Luke, and I wish you would turn there to chapter number 8. Because in Luke 8, we find not just one, but three examples of something happening here that it started out anything but beautiful. You talk about some messed up situations, and yet when Jesus addressed those situations in his own timing and in his own way, he made something beautiful out of it. He brought beauty for ashes. Now, the first example we have begins in verse number 26 of Luke 8, and it's what I would say 
this man had a spiritual stronghold on his life. So we talk about something being messed up. This was what happened. Look at verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And that word legion has with it the idea of a multitude of demons that had possessed this man. Matthew and Mark tell this same story, and they describe how this man was so demon-possessed that he would cut himself and, and hurt himself. You couldn't bind him with the chains and with the shackles. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, one of the reasons that a person ought to get saved is so they won't be demon-possessed. You know, we think about we get saved so our sins can be forgiven, we go to heaven, and we don't have to go to hell, and all that's true, and we have Christ in our life now. But if you think about it, if you're not saved, what is it that's stopping a demon from possessing you? You see, those of us who are saved, we could never be demon-possessed. Why? Because living on the inside of us is the Holy Spirit of God. And the only way that a demon could possess us is if the demon overtook God. And we know that a demon is no match for God. He's stronger than us, but he's not as strong as God. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so those of us who are saved, we can't be possessed by a demon. Sometimes we may be oppressed. We may be discouraged or depressed by a demon, but we can't be possessed. But this man did not know Christ, and he had been possessed not just by a demon, but by many demons. And so Jesus cast this demon out of this man, and look in verse 35 what the result of this is. Then the people in the community went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Now, Jesus had driven those demons out of this man. He had taken this man's mess, and he had made something beautiful. And it says to me, sometimes in life, a person can have a spiritual stronghold. If they're not saved, it could be that they're possessed by a demon. But even those, who, those of us who are saved, sometimes the devil can get in our lives. We give him a, a, a foothold. We give him an inch, and he takes, he takes a mile, as it were. And he can get a stronghold on us with a sin or with an attitude or with a fear or an anxious thought or an anxious mindset. And all of a sudden, there's this spiritual stronghold in our lives. Why do you think sometimes people take their own lives? Because they've gotten so depressed and so hopeless that they don't see anything worth living for. What is that? It is a satanic spiritual stronghold that has taken root in that person's life. And yet, we see here that God has power over the spiritual strongholds. But sometimes the mess is not so much a spiritual stronghold like that. Sometimes the mess is what I would call a family crisis. Something is happening in, in, in a family, and it is a real mess. Look in verse number 40 of this same chapter. 
because we read about a man named Jairus and what had happened in his family. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. Why? For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. And so Jesus now is going to this man's house to help his uh, daughter to live. Well, look at verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking to someone else, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. So now this young girl, 12 years of age, she was sick and now she has died. Verse 50, but when Jesus heard it, he answered and said, uh, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose, and immediately he commanded that she be given something to eat. And so here's a family that was having a crisis, an illness in the family, resulting in a death in the family. It was a mess. It was a sad situation. And yet Jesus, in his own timing, and in his own way, comes and brings this girl back to life again. And so we know that sometimes in our lives, there's a family crisis, something going on in our family unit, and we need God's touch, and we need, God, we need God's help to be on that. But then sometimes, it's not so much a family crisis, and it's not so much a spiritual stronghold. It's just what's happening in our own individual lives, and we say, this is a hopeless situation. Now, in, in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 43, we read about a lady who had a hopeless situation. And Jesus was being, had been approached by Jairus. He was going to his house to heal the daughter. But on the way, this lady comes up to him in verse 43. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment, the hem of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? Then all denied it. Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press toward you, and you say, who touched you? In other words, everybody's touching you. But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. What Jesus was saying is, yeah, a lot of people are bumping into me. A lot of people are physically making contact with me, but somebody has made spiritual contact with me. Now, he knew who it was, but he was wanting to cause this lady to confess her faith in Christ uh, openly and publicly. And so he said, somebody touched me for I perceive power going out from me. Verse 47, now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. 
go in peace. And so in one chapter, we have these three different illustrations. Somebody had a spiritual stronghold, another family had a crisis, and this lady had a hopeless situation. She had been to all the doctors and spent all the money she had. She hadn't gotten any better. She was only getting worse. And yet Jesus, in each one of these instances, what did he do? He made something beautiful out of the messed up things in their lives. And what I'm saying and what God is saying to us today, that's what he does for us. He looks at our lives and he sees things that are not right, that are imperfect, not as they should be, ash heaps as it were. And he comes along in his own time and in his own way and he makes something absolutely beautiful out of those things. Now, let's take this one step further. Because not only does God have a way of doing that, but think about this. God has already made your situation beautiful. He's just waiting on the right time for you to experience it. Now, let let me ask today. Maybe for you it's not a spiritual stronghold or a a family crisis or or maybe maybe it's not even a hopeless situation. Maybe one of those things. It may be something else. But God has already made that situation beautiful from his perspective. He's just waiting on the right time for you to experience it. Now, back in verse 11 of Ecclesiastes 3, notice what this says. This first sentence of the verse is all we're dealing with today. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, notice how the verse begins. He has made. Say that with me. He has made. Say it again. Now, let me give you a grammar question. Is that past tense Present tense or future tense? Past tense. He has made. I know sometimes tenses are hard. He has made everything beautiful in its time. I looked that verse up in 15 different translations last week. 14 of the 15 put it in the past tense. He has made. There's one translation, the contemporary English version, which is a good translation, but in trying to make it easy to read, it put it in the present tense. He makes everything beautiful in its time. Well, that translation wasn't trying to be precise on tenses. It was just trying to make it easy to read. So I looked it up in the Hebrew language. What tense is this? Two Hebrew Bibles. It's in the past tense. He has made everything beautiful in its time. You see, we would think that it would be in the present tense. God makes everything beautiful. We have a mess. Here's a family crisis. Here's a spiritual stronghold. Here's a hopeless situation. Yes, but God can do anything. And he'll come along and he will make everything beautiful. He'll make something beautiful out of that ash heap. Well, there's a sense in which that's true, but a more precise rendering of that theology and of that teaching is that he already has made everything beautiful in his time. Think about this. Before any of us were born, long before Adam and Eve were created, before sin ever entered the world, God had already made a way for our sins to be forgiven. Revelation 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus, in the mind of God, had already died on that cross to pay for our sins before sin ever entered the world. What are we seeing there? We're seeing that God had already made something beautiful that was anything but beautiful. Sin's not beautiful, but he had already made a way. Think about this. Before Jesus Christ was crucified on that cross, God had already made a resurrection. 
But he had to wait three days in order for Jesus to experience that resurrection in his life. God has a way of making something beautiful out of everything in our life. And in, there's a sense in which he has already done it. He has made. The thing is, we're just waiting on the right time to experience what God's already done. You see, the world had to wait thousands of years for Jesus to come. But in the mind of God, he, that had already happened. And the resurrection had already happened even as Jesus hung on that cross. Think about this. God has already made your situation. I'm not asking you to raise your hand today, but if I were to say, how many here today say, John, I've got something in my life that's messed up. I've got a stronghold, a spiritual stronghold that is set in on me, a hopeless situation. Our family's in crisis right now. Most everybody in the room would say, I've got something like that or something similar to that going on in my life or in my family. Here's the word from God today. He has has already made something beautiful out of that. He's just waiting on the right time for you to experience it. I had a, a beautiful example of this several weeks ago. I received a check in the mail from a lady in another city, a friend, for $500. It's not my birthday. It's not Christmas. I hadn't done anything. She just gave me a check, $500 check. This this. This never happens, something like that seldom ever, but it happened. And I thought, well, that's the nicest thing. And so I thought, well, I'll take this check to the bank and, and cash it or deposit it and whatever I'm going to do. And I, I, I looked at the check. I, had I got it on March the 1st. And when I looked at the date, she had dated it March the 26th. She meant to date it February the 26th, but she dated it March the 26th. So I thought, well... You can't cash a check in advance, so I'll have to wait till a month to cash it. And I thought, well, what I could do is try to turn that three into a two. <laughs> and then I thought, well, if I mess that up, it's going to look like an eight, and I have to wait till August to cash the check. <laughs> so I thought, well, no, I'll just put this up, and I, I, I'd put it in a safe place, and I said, I'll just wait till the end of the month, and I'll go cash it. I didn't think anything else about it. Well, a few days later... Out of the blue, I wasn't thinking about that $500 check, even though I never understood why I got it. It was just, a, just like a gift, and it's not even a season of gifts. I was, I was not thinking about it, though. I was doing something else at home, and out of the blue, and I say out of the blue because I believe literally out of heaven, I, I would not have thought of this. I felt like God spoke to me, and God said, John, that check that that lady gave you, is exactly like a lot of my blessings. From my perspective, I've already given them to you. But from your perspective, you have to wait until the appointed date before you experience what I've given you. Now you think about that. From the perspective of God, that need that you have that you say, today I have a need in my life that is currently unmet. That's true from your perspective. But from God's perspective, he says, yes, I see that. From your perspective, you have an unmet need. But from my perspective, I've already met that need. I've already provided for that situation. I've already made something beautiful out of that. You're just having to wait until the right time so that you can experience it in your own life. And so we wait on God and we say, God, I, I don't know how you have devised this. I don't know 
what, how you're going to address this, how I'm going to experience this, but I do believe what the Bible says, that you have already made everything beautiful in its time, in its time, in the right time. That check is not to be cashed for another week. Uh, but in its time, I can cash it. And in, in God's time, we can experience all the things that He has laid up for us. Did you know the greatest thing that God has for us is new life through His Son, Jesus? Now could be the time you begin your new life in Christ. Won't you pray with me now? Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. In your name I pray, amen. For those of you who have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.